Acts chapter 2 is where we're going. And um, just to give you a bit of background as to what's happening immediately before the passage that we're about to read, uh, it's the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit's been poured out in a very dramatic way on the disciples. And as a result of that, they're kind of propelled out into the street. They've had this amazing uh, experience of God's presence and his power. There they are on the street. There are thousands of people there. And um, the Apostle Peter stands up. And he speaks to the crowd and he gives them the gospel. And we're just going to kind of drop in to the, the second half of his sermon. So that's what we're going to do. Acts chapter 2 verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David didn't ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. And uh, what we're going to look at today is the whole subject of baptism, which is probably long overdue, to be honest. We haven't talked very much or taught very much about baptism, uh, but the, the uh, thinking behind it is that in about a few weeks' time, or over the next few weeks, uh, there are baptism services going on at all the sites and all the services, and so there'll be an opportunity for anyone who wants to, to get baptized. And so for that reason, I just thought it'd be helpful, just a couple of weeks before, to look at it, and uh, so that's what we're going to do. Repent and be baptized, says Peter. David Beckham uh, famously was asked about baptism and uh, he, I guess they, he just had a little baby boy, and he said, we're definitely going to get Brooklyn christened, but I'm not sure into which religion yet. I love that. Uh, in the 5th century, King Ingus, I've never heard of King Ingus before, but this is a true story, uh, he, he asked St. Patrick to baptize him, and um, so it was all arranged and it was all set up. And on the day of the baptism, uh, St. Patrick came along with his big crook that he had. And it had a really sharp spike on the bottom. And I, I think it was because whenever he preached, he would stick this crook into the ground. And it would stick in the ground because it had a big sh sharp spike. Anyway, the sharp spike's important for the next bit. Because just as he was starting to do the baptism, he skewered the king's foot with this sharp spike. And uh, nobody noticed. He didn't notice. Uh, well, obviously, the king noticed. But um, anyway, so they carried on with the baptism. And then King Ingus is standing there after the baptism, you know, dripping in water and also flowing with blood all over the floor. And uh, suddenly then St. Patrick supposedly noticed that this had happened. And he said, well, why didn't you say something? And uh, 
true story, the, the king said, oh, I just thought it was part of what happens when you get baptized. So what we're going to look at first of all is, what was baptism? You know, in the New Testament, what, what actually was it? What happened? Lots of ancient cultures all over the world have some kind of ritual cleansing or ceremonial washing, stuff like that. So you could go pretty much anywhere in the world and find that bridegrooms, the night before their wedding, are, you know, ceremonially washed or, or people before they eat particular meals are washing their hands in a, in a ritualistic way. Um, but actually, Christian baptism most likely uh, finds its origins in the Old Testament, in the Jewish law. And um, there are a whole load of moments in the Jewish law where uh, they were, God's people were commanded to wash themselves in different ways. So for example, Exodus 29 uh, Aaron and his sons, who are about to become the very first priests of the tabernacle, uh, they're told to go to the, the entrance to the tabernacle, and there they're going to be washed in front of everyone who's there. And I guess it's a kind of a, this is your preparation for the job that God's called you to do. Uh, also in Leviticus 14, uh, people who, in the law, people who, who believe that they've been healed of some kind of infectious skin disease, they were commanded to wash all of their clothes and to shave off all of their hair and then to wash themselves in order that they would be clean. And there are loads of other examples of kind of uh, ceremonial washing all the way through the Old Testament. And it seems that after the writing of the Old Testament, in what they call the intertestamental period between the end of the Old Testament and the start of the New Testament, this idea of washing yourself in order to be clean for God or, or to represent something that God is already doing was kind of increasing all the time and um, archaeologists have dug up a whole load of places where they found these kind of ceremonial baths, these purpose-built baths for dunking people into. But actually, the very first recorded ever baptism, as in the kind of baptism, baptisms that we would know them, uh, are in the narratives about John the Baptist. So, for example, in Mark chapter 1, verse 4, it says this. So, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So, here's John the Baptist standing in the middle of the Jordan River in the wilderness, and he's saying, Repent, get yourself right with God, put everything right that's in your life because God's coming. And as part of that, to symbolize that kind of preparation, getting ready for God and the forgiveness that God would bring, uh, he's dunking people into the water. Get yourself right with God. That's actually the major theme of New Testament baptism, this idea of cleansing, an outward symbol of an inner reality. God has cleansed me, and that's why I want to get baptized, to show on the outside what God has already done on the inside. It's important to note as well that whenever the baptism thing happens in the New Testament, it always involves lots and lots and lots of water, right? So there's never a moment, never a moment in the New Testament where someone is baptized by sprinkling a little bit of water over their forehead or by making the sign of the cross in water. In fact, uh, it says in John chapter 3, uh, when John the Baptist is baptizing people, he specifically looks for a stretch of the River Jordan which is deep enough 
because he, obviously he's wanting to dunk them completely down. And then when he baptizes Jesus, it says specifically in the passage, he came up out of the water. You don't come out, up out of a puddle, do you? you know, this is kind of properly deep water. And then when Philip baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, it says that they went down into the water together. Do you like the way I'm acting this out? Is this helping with you? Understand? They went down into the water together and then they came up out of the water together. There are no instances in scripture where people are sprinkled or splashed or anything like that. Actually, the Greek word that we translate as baptize is a word that was in common usage in that time. And it was the kind of, it was the word that's used to describe the sinking of a ship. Or if you were to take a cup and dip it into a bowl of wine and scoop up some wine, or if you were to take a a big bit of cloth and you wanted to change its colour, you'd baptise the cloth into a big vat of dye and it would change its colour. Uh, I read somewhere that it's a common word in Greek that's used where in English we would use these words, drench, dunk, dip, duck, douse, deluge, or soak, sink, swamp, steep, or saturate. Easy for you to say. Anyway... So, John the Baptist waded into the River Jordan and he dunked people under the water. And then it says actually in John chapter 3 that for a time Jesus and his disciples did the same thing somewhere else along the same stretch of river. And uh, then Jesus, of course, in Matthew 28, commands his disciples after he's gone back to be with his father to baptize people uh, as he's, you know, after he's gone. So, what does baptism mean? What's the meaning of baptism? Well, first of all, just like we said, baptism speaks of a bath. Uh, I've been rubbish at every sport I've ever tried in my life, uh, and uh, some of you are very surprised by that, given my chiseled physique. But... um, uh, when I was a kid, I quite liked rugby. And the reason I quite like rugby is because you had the opportunity to get muddy from head to foot. And when you're a young lad, that's kind of a fun thing to do. And so you could roll around in the mud and get muddy literally from head to foot. And then uh, the dilemma was always at that point, once you'd spent the afternoon getting muddy, then you then had to go into the clubhouse and communal showers were the recommendation of the teachers and we pretty quickly figured out that none of us wanted to be naked in front of each other and so we didn't do that what we used to do is go into the showers and then uh, kind of um, turn all the showers on and then splash our faces with water to clean our faces and then leave leave the rest of us completely muddy and then just put our clothes on over the top and then when you got home then you could get into the bath just by yourself with no one else around and then the uh, intention was to try to get as much muddy scum floating on the top of the bath as possible. If you could get a full centimetre depth of muddy scum floating on the top of the bath, you knew that you'd done pretty well. But even as a teenager, I knew that even though I could wash my body to within an inch of my life, I could never clean the inside of my life. That there were parts of me that no one else could see that were dirty and shadowed and filthy. And there was no way to clean those. There was no bath that you could take that would clean the inside. The wonderful thing about following Jesus is that he alone can wash the inside. In baptism, 
what people were doing when they were coming to John the Baptist or when they were coming to Jesus or when they were coming to, to the disciples or the early church. They're saying, yes, God, please will you clean me? Please will you clean the inside? There used to be an old advert for Flash. I think it was Flash that said it even removes the most stubborn stains. God alone can deal with the most stubborn stains. In baptism, we say, he's made me clean. And he is making me clean. And he will make me clean. So baptism speaks of a bath. The next thing that baptism talks about, really, is a burial. Um, as well as that sense of cleansing that was uh, uh, the main feature of John the Baptist's baptism, the early church pretty soon recognized that somebody going down into the water and then coming up again was very much like going down into a grave and coming up again. And they immediately associated um, baptism with kind of aligning yourself with Jesus' death as you go into the water and then coming out of the water raised with Jesus. And so you get, for example, Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. You were buried with Christ in baptism, in which you were also raised with him. So baptism then is the way that we draw a line under our old selves, our old lives. And we start a new life with Christ, with God. I don't know whether anyone remembers the story of, uh, in, the, in the news a few years ago of John and Anne Darwin. Does anyone remember that? John and Anne Darwin, they were the Canoe 2 from Seton Carew. And um, he, he'd been a maths teacher and then he was a prison warden or something like that. She was a doctor's receptionist and um, uh, they had a kind of a sideline in bedsits. They were renting out bedsits. And actually, over time, they developed huge debts, just massive debts that they could never pay and they didn't know what to do. And so what they decided to do was to fake his death. And so what they did one day, in fact, it was the 21st of March, 2002. That's quite a few years ago now, isn't it? Imagine how time flies. Um, he, he paddled out uh, into the sea, and um, then the next day, his shredded canoe was washed up back on the beach. And everyone was a bit confused because, actually, on that particular day, the sea was as calm as a mill pond, and people were a bit confused as to how this canoe was completely wrecked. What had he done? What had happened? But actually, over time, uh, they, they did issue a death certificate, and the insurance company paid out, and they took all this money, and they ran off to South America, and then later on, they decided to come back, and he wandered into a police station one day, five years later, saying, oh, I, I can't remember who I am, and pretended that he had amnesia. It's a, I know you're thinking it's a very bizarre story, and it's incredibly tragic in lots of ways, but how many of us can relate to his desire to just draw a line and start again? How many of us sometimes just think, do you know what, I've made a total mess of my life. If only I could just start again. Of course, the, the New Testament talks a lot about uh, how becoming a Christian is actually a death. We die to our old selves. We put our old selves to death in order that we can find new life in Christ. So, for example, Galatians chapter 2 Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Or Colossians chapter 2 verse 20, you died with Christ. So when we come to faith and repentance in Jesus, when we, when we find a new life in him, we die. And then in baptism, we perform the burial. 
It's what you do. It's the appropriate way to draw a line under a life and to start a new life is a burial. And so that's what they did. They baptized people to perform the burial. People often ask, you know, can I be a Christian and not be baptized? And probably the answer is yes. But, actually, if you haven't been baptized, then you haven't completed the process. The appropriate thing to do with a dead body is to bury it. The appropriate thing to do with a person who has died and found a new life in Christ is to bury them, is to baptize them. That's the right thing to do. So baptism speaks of a bath, and also it's a burial. And lastly, it's a badge of belonging. It's the mark of membership for the people of God. In the Old Testament, the mark of membership was circumcision. And uh, that was the way that you kind of publicly declared, uh, actually, this child belongs to God and belongs to the people of God. Now, we don't do that anymore, thank goodness. Uh, Although I did spend an Easter holiday doing uh, cutting carpet tiles. I would be willing to give it a go if anyone's interested. (laughs) But thankfully, we're all quite glad that we don't have to do circumcision, aren't we? Uh, But... Baptism is a sign that we belong to God and we belong to the church. I have three children. My wife and I have three kids. And we've loved every stage of being parents. We love the stage that I would call utter dependence. When you've got this tiny wee baby and, and literally they can't do anything for themselves. And I can really remember when we just had our first baby and we were hanging out with some friends and really we were living down south and thinking about moving up here and um, just praying that through. And so we'd meet kind of once a week and we'd have dinner together and we used to bring our little baby uh, to our friend's flat and we'd go into the spare room and we'd put our baby down on the, the spare bed and then we'd come back two and a half hours later and the baby was exactly where you left it. It was amazing. But pretty soon, they don't last like that for very long. Pretty soon they start toddling. And uh, that's a really, really fun stage because you get to hold their hands and they're looking at you really excitedly like it's the best adventure in the whole world. And you're looking down at them just so proud and thrilled about what's happening and they're toddling along like that. That's a great stage. And then the stage after that is walking where they can technically walk by themselves, but actually they still want to hold your hand. And so you get to just hold hands. And then and the really fun thing is if you've got two people holding a hand each, then you can swing them up in the air like that, which uh, pretty soon you can't do because it pulls your arm off. But it's fun for a while. My kids now are getting to the other stage, which is actually not that great in some ways. It's the stage where not only will they not look at you when they're walking, not only will they not hold your hand when they're walking, but actually when they're walking, they want to walk as far behind you as possible so that they, cannot, they don't need to be acknowledged as belonging to you in any way. It's like, I just want to just drag my heels behind, listen to my iPod, and pretend that I don't know you because you're so embarrassing. <laughs> Baptism is the way that we say, do you know what? The church isn't perfect, but these are my people. I belong here. I love these people. This is my family. Baptism is a badge of belonging. And it it symbolizes that we belong to the church, and also it symbolizes that we belong to God. You know, if you think about it, when we baptize people, we baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're baptizing them into the name of God. We're saying this person, they, they belong to God. 
They're no longer their own. They were bought at a price. They belong to God. We're baptizing them into Christ, under the lordship of Christ. They belong to him. Okay. So why should I get baptized? Some of you are thinking, well, this is, sounds nice. It sounds lovely and all of that. But actually, I'm not that keen. Why would I get baptized? Well, first of all, I'd get baptized because it's normal for Christians to do. It's what all Christians uh, for 2,000 years have done. Throughout the New Testament, actually, it literally is the thing that you do when you come to faith. So uh, as we read in the passage earlier on, there were 3,000 people. They became Christians. They were added to the church and they were baptized. It all happened on the same day. You see that again and again. Lydia is selling her purple cloth down by the river in Philippi. She comes to faith and her and her whole family are baptized. Uh, the, the jailer in Philippi who'd been keeping, keeping Paul in prison, he comes to faith and so does his whole family and they're baptized. Crispus, the synagogue leader, is baptized. Even Simon the sorcerer is ba baptized. In fact, you'd be hard-pressed to find a single person coming to faith and not being baptized, except the thief who's crucified on uh, one side of Jesus. And to be honest, he's got a quite a good excuse as to why he's not able to be baptized. The truth is as well that all of the writers of the New Testament, when they're writing to churches, they're writing just assuming that everyone who's there has been baptized. Everyone who believes and trusts in Jesus has been baptized. And so they say things like, we've all been baptized into Christ. It's like, it's just a universal thing. Obviously, we've all been baptized. Probably that's because, secondly, Jesus commanded us to be baptized. Think about the great commandment that we talked about earlier on. Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus commands us to do that to one another, to baptize one another. And so actually, to be baptized is to be obedient to Jesus. And to not be baptized, ultimately, is to be disobedient, to stand in disobedience to Jesus. And, and uh, that's probably why Peter's able to say, when, in that passage that we read, the crowd starts saying, well, what should we do? And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. We want to be obedient to God, don't we? We, we want to walk in obedience to God. And therefore, each of us, if we believe and trust in Jesus, ought to be baptized. Uh, and, and the last reason why we'd get baptized is because it's a powerful witness, Let's face it, being baptised is a very odd thing to do. It's not the kind of thing that people in our culture really do. Uh, and um, I was walking uh, about three days ago down the side of the building here, and as I was walking along, I saw our youth pastor, Dave Hall, in the, in the distance, and I thought I'd just give him a cheery wave. And uh, obviously, waving and walking at the same time were a little bit too much for me, and so I was waving, and I tripped over. And as I tripped over, my bag, which was open, went flying, and papers flew out all over the path, and my laptop flew out. And, um, you know, it was as if I wasn't just waving with my hand, I was waving with all of my possessions at the same time. But what do you do when something like that happens? I'll tell you what you do. I'll tell you what I did. I styled it out. I just pretended like I'd done it on purpose. You know, oh yeah, I just, that's, I, I meant to do that. I meant to do that. I was so pleased to see you. I just really had to do that. Um, keeping our dignity and our 
self-respect are incredibly important things for us, aren't we? So why on earth would anyone in their right mind, in front of a whole room full of people, go and stand in a bath with all of their clothes on and bearing in mind that white things go see-through in water and floaty things float in water? Why would anyone do that? And, and why would anyone allow themselves to be ducked under the water when, when we were all at school, being ducked under the water was considered bullying? The reason we do it is because Jesus is more important to us than our dignity. And it's a very powerful witness to those that we know. When else do we have the opportunity to invite all of our family and our friends and our neighbours and our work colleagues into a church and then force them to listen to us as we tell them our story about how we met God and then watch them then have the opportunity to watch us duck ourselves under the water. What a remarkable thing. The reason why I know it's a powerful witness is because my twin brother came to faith at my baptism. And uh, for a couple of years I'd been a Christian and I'd been trying to figure out, you know, all the different ways that I could bring Jesus into the conversation, which must have been torture for him. And um, I was trying to be kind and nice and serve him uh, in between the duffing his head in, which is what teenage boys do. But I was doing my best. Nothing seemed to work. He came to my baptism and suddenly he got it. And he's followed the Lord and walked with the Lord ever since. Baptism is a powerful thing. Okay. Let me just uh, cover a few frequently asked questions. The first thing that people always ask is, I was christened as an infant, does that count? And um, it's a tough question actually because lots of my closest friends have uh, been uh, brought up in Christian families and have uh, loved the Lord from a very early age and they were christened you know, pretty much as soon as they could breathe and then they were either confirmed in the Anglican Church or they professed their faith in the Church of Scotland and for them, for so many of them, what happened to them, that series of, or sequence of events, they firmly considered to be their baptism and they consider themselves to be standing in obedience to scripture. And yet for me, by contrast, I uh, didn't grow up in a Christian family, but I was still christened as a kid, and I was confirmed into the Anglican church as a teenager, and then I met the Lord. And so it was like, I went to my youth leader and I said, I, I don't know what to do, I, I, I've kind of been baptised before, uh, and actually I came to realise, no I hadn't. You know, I'd gone through a ritual, but that wasn't my baptism. And so I had the opportunity to get baptized again in a freezing cold swimming pool. So, the way that we answer the question in this church is that we say, first of all, we sincerely believe that the Bible teaches that people should be uh, baptized when they've decided to follow Jesus. So that most likely means when they've reached an age where they're... Uh, you know, that they can make a sincere decision that will last for the rest of their lives. And we also believe that people should be baptized by dunking them under the water. However, if you have had a different experience and a different upbringing and you stand before God and have total peace about the way it happened to you, we're not going to force you to do something that you'd rather not do. 
And so actually what we would encourage you to do, if, if you're in that situation, is to just seek God and search the scriptures and talk to other people and just make sure, you know, don't just uh, go along with whatever happened to you as a kid. Just ask God, what's the right thing for me? And uh, then just do whatever God says. Second question that a lot of people ask is, is it too late? Maybe there are some people here, you've been a Christian for years and years and years and you've never been baptised and you're sort of thinking, well I don't know if there's much point now, everyone knows I'm a Christian and it would be a bit weird to give my testimony now, Um, is it too late? And I just want to say it's never too late. You know, the right thing to do with a dead body is to bury it. And, And mostly we bury bodies when they've just died, right? But sometimes on the battlefield, for example, bodies lay unburied for a while but it's always the right and appropriate thing to do when you come across a dead body that's just lying around to bury it and so we would strongly encourage you regardless of when you became a Christian if you haven't yet been baptised why would you not take the opportunity to invite all of your friends and your neighbours and your work colleagues into the church stand up, tell them how much Jesus means to you and then duck you under the water why would you not do that it's never too late and uh, Let me just say as well, on the other thing, uh, if you have been christened or baptised as a a little child, we would have absolutely no problem with baptising you again, obviously. Okay, and the last question that people always ask is, do I have to stand at the front of church and speak into a microphone and share my story? And the answer to that question is yes. Okay, let's pray. No, I just... You know, the easiest speech that anyone will ever give is the groom's speech at a wedding. Because, you know, everyone who's at the wedding is there because they love you. And then all they want to hear is you say, my wife and I, or on behalf of my wife and I, or something like that. Everyone cheers, and then you just have to say thank you to lots of people. And everyone, it's, it's the easiest gig you'll ever do. The second easiest talk you'll ever do is giving your testimony in a baptism service. Because everyone who's there is your family and they want to hear what you've got to say. And um, we'll prepare you as much as we can. We'll help you sit down and write your notes. Some people like to be interviewed, and we're fine with that. Some people like to write down bullet points. Some people want to write a full script. Some people, and I wouldn't recommend it, just like to just say whatever comes in, you know, when the moment is there. Um, Definitely don't recommend that. But we'll help you as much as we can, prepare you for it, so that when the moment comes, it actually will be fun. Most people say, actually, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, even though they're very nervous. So, if, you, if you're part of this church, and you believe and trust in Jesus, and you'd like to be baptised, and you've never been baptised before, we would really, really love to hear from you. And, and over the next few weeks, we're seeking to baptise people in every service, at every site. And probably we'll do it on two different Sundays so that uh, some people who can't make one could come to the other one and stuff like that. So please let us know. Why don't we stand?